through you down there. You got a brand new one you'd like to get out. <laughs> Since Easter, I've been preaching, with, with the exception of one Sunday, I've been preaching about the Passover, Easter, how that happens, the history of it, the seven Sabbaths, the Pentecost, and that happens. The term Pentecost means 50. That's the definition of Pentecost. The seven Sabbaths from Easter, which is what happens this coming weekend. This next Sunday is seven Sabbaths from then. It's 49 days. And that's when they went in the upper room. There was 500 or something when they went in there. There was 120 when it was, when it was all said and done. It said the, the Spirit came on, on them like fire, cloven tongues, and they spoke in tongues. We get caught up a lot of times on that speaking in tongues. That's a good thing. It's a necessary thing. But we get caught up on the part about the speaking in tongues, but we forget about the fire, the Holy Ghost and fire. Actually, today's church and a lot of Bible translations like to water it down and put the Spirit. It's the Spirit. But it's called, it's called the Holy Ghost and fire. It's the Spirit of God. Right. But the, the fire comes to refine, to refine those disciples. What happened to the other 380-something that were there that left? They had something more important that they had to go get to in their minds. They had something that, that was they put in front of God. Instead of staying there and getting in one mind and one accord, they had something that they had to, get, they had to attend to. A family or kids or whatever it was they had to get back to. A fire is used to refine or can be used for judgment. By God we're talking about. You know, when you put gold in the fire, when they find gold, they refine it. They put it into the fire. The Bible refers to this also. They put it into the fire and the impurities cook off on the top of it. And what they have left in there is pure gold. Right? That's what God's trying to turn us into. He's trying to refine us. If we will accept that, or we could, he could have a fire for our judgment. It's used for refine, to, to refine. We can be obedient, or we can have our self-will. See, there's two opposite sides of the coin here. We can be refined, and we, or we can have judgment. We can be purified, or we can be destroyed. We can be obedient, or we can have our self-will. We can have blessings, or we can have curses. Are you following me here? Yeah. Is that too deep for any of you? Let's not get too, too complex too fast. Deuteronomy 4.24 is my first scripture today. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. This word even right here is italicized if you read in the King James. Anybody know what they're italicized for? Those italicized words of the Bible? That means it was added later for clarity. It wasn't in the original Greek and Hebrew transcripts. So this word, this word even is added for clarity. For me it kind of jumbled it up though. So let's try to read it like this. Take the even out because that wasn't actually in the Bible when it first was written. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. It looks like two sides of the coin there, doesn't it? Blessings or curses. He uses fire to purify us, to make us whole, or he can use fire to bring judgment onto us. Look what happened in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah in those days. Fire rained down from heaven, didn't it? Did it not for judgment on that city. Keep this in mind here. He can be Consuming, he can consume the things that are bad from us. I'm gonna give you some more example, more examples here. Um, I, I pray a lot of times for God to look into my heart, no matter what it is, to purge it out of me. Purge it out of me, burn it out. Nothing's more important to me than you, God, than my relationship with you, God. That's the most important thing in this life to me is my relationship with you. No matter what that is, are you there today? Are you there with me today? Is there something else that you would put out there that's more important to God, more important to you than God? Some reason that you wouldn't want to come be in his house and be hungry to be fed of his word. Is there something out there? You have to want to be right to be right, though. You have to want that. You have to offer these things up to give to God. 
God's just not going to take them from you. He gave us a free will. He's a gentleman. He's not just going to take them. In Exodus 3, 2, and you got to picture this. Moses is out there wandering around the desert working for his father-in-law. He's herding sheep, right? This is before Moses came, the big famous man that you heard of in the Bible being Moses. He was a sheep herder. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Picture this now. There's a bush there. See, we're looking outside here at this bush, and it's got flowers on it, and it's got leaves on it, and it's blazing with fire, but the flowers aren't withering. It's not going away. The leaves aren't withering. It's staying there. It looks just like it did, but there's a fire in there. You see, God's not consuming the bush. The, the fire's just in the bush. In Exodus 24, 17, on Mount Sinai, when they could see God, Moses was up there talking to God, but the Israelites, they could see God from where they were at. It says, and the sight of the glory of the Lord, the sight of the glory of the Lord, you see that word in there? His glory, God's glory, when they saw sight of God's glory, was like a devouring fire on top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. So they saw God's glory, and it looked like a blazing fire to them. Consuming fire, they saw there, right? What's it consuming? I'm showing you several examples here so we can see this. You have to remember that the early church, the earliest church when God told Moses how to make a temple, it was a tent. It was a tent. It was a big, elaborate, fancy tent. I read somewhere the other day, it weighed 22,000 pounds. This tent did, all said and done, with the cherubims and, and all the gold and the poles and everything they had there, it weighed 22,000 pounds. It was a big tent, but nonetheless, it was a tent. So when the glory of God would come into this tent, you think about this, they had a holy place, and they had a holiest of holies, and it was separated, right? Where only the priest could go in. So you would have to bring your offering to the priest, and the priest could go into the holiest of holies, and he would make your sacrifice to God for you. At this time, they would tie a rope on the priest's leg, and he would wear a bell. So if they heard the bell, if they stopped hearing the bell, they knew the priest was dead, and they would drag him out by the leg. Because the glory of God would come down in that tent. Are you picturing this? The glory of God was as a, a devouring fire on top of the mount, right? You ever had fire in a tent? It didn't burn the tent down. It just took the offering. It only took what they offered to God. It only took what they wanted to give to God. Are you following me here? Exodus, or in 2 Chronicles 7-1, Solomon got to build the first scripture, or the first structure, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the first structure that was a temple that was ever built, Solomon built. King David stored up the goods for him. It was a great, big, elaborate, huge building, right? But in 7-1, if you read, if you read uh, chapter 6, it talks about all Solomon was blessing. They were, they were christening the church, if you will. Solomon prayed, and he prayed a blessing on this church. Now, God, when we get away from you and we do this, and we come back to church, please bless us. It goes on for chapter after chapter, like as we read it. Solomon already knew that they that they were going to mess up the way he was praying, if you, if you read chapter 6 there. But it goes on to say, Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. The glory of the Lord is a, is a consuming fire, right? Filled the, te filled the temple. What happened to the temple? It still stood. Nothing fell. If you go, skip to verse 7 there. 2 Chronicles 7, 7. Now you think about how big this fire was. Moreover, Solomon had, uh, had hollowed the middle of the court that was before, am I in the right? Yeah. Before the house of the Lord, for he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the, of the peace offerings because the brazen altar which Solomon had made was not able to receive the burnt offerings and the meat offerings and the fat. I got the wrong scripture there, but let me just tell you this. 
Solomon in that offering offered 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. That's just what Solomon offered for the people. And the people brought offerings. Now you tell me how big that fire had to be. How hot does the fire have to be if we brought in one ox right here and try to burn this ox up to where it's consumed, completely consumed? How hot would that fire have to be? Are you getting what I'm saying here? They burnt 22,000 ox and 120,000 sheep. We couldn't contain them in this building. And they burned them up and consumed them to where there was nothing left. Are you following me? I'm not trying to paint a gruesome picture for you today. I'm saying how hot and how intense this fire must have been. The glory of the Lord must be to burn this up. Yet it didn't affect the building. It didn't consume the people. It only consumed what the people offered up for it to consume. What the people offered up for the glory of the Lord to consume, that's all it consumed. God only consumes what's offered. We have a free will. You get where I'm going with this? We have a free will. When I want to lay something down, if I have something that's between me and God, I can give it to God, and he'll burn it up. He'll purge it out of me. That glory of the Lord will come down and purge it out of me if there's something I want to get rid of. Now, if I want to hang on to that thing, and I want to continue to do it, and I want to continue to keep it there between me and God... You see, he's not going to take it. He gave me a free will. He made the angels to praise him. So the angels, they don't have a free will. They don't have a choice in it. They praise him. He made me, he made you to be in a relationship with us, or to be in a relationship with him, but he gave us a free will. Are you following me? Does that make sense? He gave me a free will. So I can praise him if I want to, or I can live like hell if I want to. I can do whatever I want to do. I can put in the consuming fire whatever I want to put in the consuming fire, or I can withhold it and keep it myself. You see, a lot of times, though, we think we're going to lose something. I, I like to, to, to do some things in the world. When I came to God, smoking was one of the hardest things I gave up. I gave up cocaine. I gave up meth. I gave up a lot of different addictions. I gave up drinking that I really liked to do. I really thought, you know, that's one of the things that kept me from coming to God earlier. If I give up this drink and I'm giving up my, my good time, how am I going to have a good time if I can't do these things? I can't hang out with my friends and do what I was doing before. You see, that's a lot of that's where a lot of us are at, even in the church. Probably some people sitting here, even myself. I don't have addiction or anything like that anymore, but I get tied up and I get involved with the ministry of things. Are you getting what I'm saying? And we miss out on that true, intimate relationship with God. If we have anything between us and God... We could be missing out on it. Now, we're all at different levels in this thing. I don't mean to make this thing too hard or too tall or too big where you can't do it because it can be done. The Bible says to him that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. You can do it. I can do it. We have to want to do it. We're not going to just lay this thing out. For example, uh, God gave me cigarettes. He, he gave me, he freed me from cigarettes, I mean to say. No, he didn't give me a pack of cigarettes. I was a pretty heavy smoker, and, and I gave up all these other addictions but smoking was the hardest thing for me to give up. That's just me. I'm opening my own mail today. Some of you may be there. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe it's not cigarettes. Maybe there's another name on that line for you. Maybe there's something else that you're having a hard time giving up. That, and I'm not preaching against, I mean, the Bible says for him to do the good and do it the not, to him it is sin. I have been convicted of smoking cigarettes. God told me that was not for me. So I had to lay him down. Although I struggle with, with quitting, I, I quit several times before, and those of you who knew me before can attest to this. I quit numerous times before, only to fail and pick them back up again. But when I came to God, I was sitting here, oh, this young man here is today, and I was praying about it, you know, and I knew I was called to preach. God, you've called me to preach, and I'm supposed to stand up here and tell your, tell your people about your word, 
and I'm going to do this with a pack of cigarettes hanging out of my pocket. How's that going to work? They're not going to take me serious. And, and this is my own convictions. I was convicted of it, so I, I was praying to God there, and that little still small voice said, "Don't buy another. Don't buy any more cigarettes." And I went out to the car that day, and I had I had a cigarette out there about that long still left, and I smoked it. As soon as I got out of the parking lot, I lit it up and I smoked the rest of that cigarette. And I never bought another pack of cigarettes, and I've never had another pack. Of, I've never had another cigarette since then. Before I was real defensive about how they smelled. Now I can't stand the smell of them. I think this thing, this it, God's changed me that much. He didn't completely give it to me though. He made it, he made it manageable. Before, when I didn't have a cigarette, I felt like I needed to choke somebody out, <laughs> or, or be. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all that smoke understand exactly what I'm saying. It can make you go off the deep end pretty quick. But at, with God though, it, there may have been rough patches. There was rough patches. There was really hard times with it. But you know what? He made a way that I could get through it. You're not here alone. No one is where you're at alone. You may think you're the only one that's ever been here, but let me tell you this. God knows the beginning from the end. He knows every day that you're ever going to live on this earth, and he already has the answer for you. He's already been here. He's already deposited the answer for you, right? All we have to do is accept it. All we have to do is take it from him. Not take it like we're literally going to walk up and take it from God, but all we have to do is receive it. That's a better word. So when I received that from God... He gave it to me, and I was able to walk that thing down. Now, a couple years later after that time, guess what? I used to try to quit smoking all the time by eating sunflower seeds. It gave me something to do with my mouth, or my, my hand and my mouth. I was still working my hand like that. And, and a couple years later, I was out on the boat, and I, I still like sunflower seeds, and I haven't been convicted of those. So I put me a handful of sunflower seeds in through my mouth, and boy, a real, I mean, it was a solid craving. It was a pretty heavy craving that I, I wanted a cigarette. But at that time, there was so much time that had passed. God was still there with me, and it passed real quick, real quick. But it would have been the stupidest thing I could have ever done once God gave that thing to me. He made it manageable for me to be able to do it. That would have been the stupidest thing I could have ever done is went back to that. Now, I'm not, I'm not down on any day. I'm not standing up on a box if you smoke. I'm, that's not where I'm going with this. I'm just telling you that's what my conviction was. Your conviction may be something different. We have to get back to our convictions, our commitments with God. If we've made a commitment with God to do something, we've got to get back there to do that thing. If there's something standing in the way, we need to ask God to purge it out. Burn it up, God. You're a consuming fire. Burn it up, God. Whatever it is, nothing is more important to me than you. Nothing is more important to me than my relationship with God. Uh, so you have to want to be right to be right. He's not going to take it from you unless you offer it up. Deuteronomy 29, 18-20 says, Lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God and go and serve the gods of, those, of these nations. Lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. Gall and wormwood there was their poisonous roots. Uh, so saying that they, would, they were burying poison into the church, basically, if they're going to go out and serve other things. And you may think that is just only God's, but anything you put in front of God, what's the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt have, um, serve the Lord your God with all your heart, all your might, all your soul, and have no other gods before you, right? So he's already told us not to do this. He's told us expressly not to do that. So anything we put in front of God, we're serving. If it's money, if it's a car, if it's a wife, if it's a job, if it's a house, you get what I'm saying, kids? Anything that's more important to God Anything that's between me and God more important to me than, 
than taking my time out to come be with God to spend time with him, then that's a problem. And it come to pass, when he heareth the words of this curse, talking about the man now that, that heard this thing and, and is changing away from God, that he blessed himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of mine, of, of my mind, or of my heart, to the drunkenness, and, or, excuse me, to add drunkenness to thirst. I got lost in the thought there. I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of mine heart. How's the devil attack you? He can't attack you in your spirit, right? He can't attack you in your soul. God lives inside of you. The Holy Ghost lives inside of you, and fire lives inside of you. Now, the Holy Ghost, the Bible says, speaks, it says his spirit, talking about the spirit of God, big S, speaks to me through my spirit, little s, right? So God is giving me instruction right there. He's giving me guidance. He's leading me. The Holy Ghost, the, Jesus said that the Holy Ghost would never give you anything on his own accord, but only what he hears from God. Did he not? Did he not say that? So he's giving me instruction from God inside me. Now it's my choice whether I change my mind according to that spirit, according to that instruction from God, or if I change my mind according to what I see, or according to the imaginations I have. Are you following me? The devil, picture the screen up here. He can throw an imagination up here of a cigarette. In my account, he could, he could let me smell it. He could let me smell whatever it was. Something that we all have familiar sins. I'm not just harping on cigarettes. We all have familiar sins. And they'll always be there. Maybe 20 years down the road that you've lived this thing down, you've walked with God, but they're always standing there waiting for you. The devil knows where he hit you last time, and he knows where it worked. He's going to hit you with the same thing again. Does that make sense? So your imagination is this big screen up here. So it, maybe it's pornography is your addiction. I don't know what it is. And he'll throw that up here. It might be just some little thing that you see on the internet first, and you say, oh yeah, who would look at that? I don't take that thing seriously. And the next thing you know, you've you clicked on it. And then you click three or four more times, and you're back right where you started from before. Are you following me? Does that make sense? I'm just throwing pornography out there because I don't think I'm just harping on cigarettes. <clears throat> the Lord will not spare him, but then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke, shall smoke against that man, and all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him, and the Lord shall blot out his name from under heaven. That kind of put to bed the theory that you can once saved, always saved. <laughs> it kind of puts that to rest because he's talking about someone who's living with God, but when he turns away from God, his curses, the curses of this book, are laid upon him. Or he can have blessings or he can have curses. It's up to him. Now remember that scripture. Let's go to 2 Timothy 3, 3 1 through 5. This is New Testament here, and I had to type this in ISV because it. The, the meanings of the words I didn't understand. You wouldn't probably understand unless you go back to the concordance. You must realize, however, however, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Are we living in the last days today? Yeah. I think we're living in the last of the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, and unholy. Is that, is that mirroring what we just read about in Deuteronomy? We're going we're gonna to love ourselves. We're going to have self-confidence, not confidence in God. You know, i got a conviction out of this. If I'm being self-confident, I think I'm going to do these things myself. Am I stepping out and not trusting God? Am I not trusting God enough? If I think I can do the things myself instead of leaning on Him? Unfeeling, uncooperative, slanderous, degenerate, brutal, hateful of what is good... 
traitors, reckless, conceited, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Hold on right there one second, babe. Can you go back to four? Conceited and lovers of pleasures. You see where they're talking about another conceited? That's self-worth, self-righteousness, self-righteousness. And that's what he said happens to us when we turn away from God, right? When we start getting into sin, we start looking at how I can do it. I got this. I can do this thing. It's the same thing that Paul's talking about here when he's writing to Timothy. Go on to five if you would be. They will hold to the outward form of godliness, but deny its power. Stay away from, from such people. So they're going to hold to an outward form of godliness. They're going to look like they're godly on the outside, right? They go to church on Sunday, maybe. You follow me here? But they deny the power thereof. What's the power? It's his glory. It's that fire that purges the things out of us. It's that fire that purges the things out and causes change. You see, we have to want change to look more like God all the time. Does that make sense? Comparing those two verses? I had to read over it a couple times. I knew there was something there. But I had to read over it a couple times, and I had to explain it to my wife a couple times. Did I get it cleared up that time? All right. <laughs> so we deny the power, the glory that God's putting out there to purge the things out of our life. Are you willing to accept that today? Is there something, each and every one of us, I can almost guarantee you, there's not a person who can hear my voice right now that doesn't have something that they need purged out of their life, including myself. You know, when I was getting this message, God set me down right back here, right behind this young man. Third, third seat back, third seat over. This is where I got, I got confirmation that I was called to preach. The preacher's wife cut him off at the end of the church and said there was a young man here today with a call in his life. Told the whole story about it. And, and I already told I already knew about it. Things in great detail that no one knew. And God reminded me I need to get back to Bethel. I can't do it on my own. You can't do it on your own. We can't do anything on our own. We need to depend on God for everything. Everything. Every small detail. 1 Corinthians 10 and 12 says, Be careful if you think you stand lest you fall. That's paraphrasing a little bit. But if you think you stand lest you fall. And I already thought of, I always thought about the scripture when I read it. I always thought about it as a sin. If I think I quit smoking on my own, I better be careful because I fall. That's the way I always thought about it. But God brought out to me it's a spiritual thing also. Be careful if I think I'm pulling up to God, close enough to God on my own. Be careful if I'm doing enough on my own, if I think I am, lest I fall. Because it's not about what I do. It's not about what I give. It's not about how much money I put to send kids to camp. It's not about how much I tithe. It's not about how much time that I donate to the church or how much I'm involved or how much I work on the building. Now, those things are all necessary. I'm not downplaying those things. That's not going to get me to heaven. That's not going to get me a closer relationship with God. It's all about a relationship with Him. It's not about those things, though they're necessary. It's about a relationship with Almighty God. It's about being sold out to God. Sold out completely to God. Not having one thing that's on your agenda that's higher than Him. You follow me? You're almost looking at me seriously now. I figured I'd hear some hooting and hollering by now. But it's about being sold out completely. It's about being obedient in everything, all the time. Completely obedient. Completely obedient all the time. What if we were getting a grade card on this? What's God told you to do lately that you might have slipped up on? And we didn't listen. Was that really God? We know what God's voice sounds like. Let's be real with this. Each and every person, if you've heard from God before, you know what his voice sounds like. An example, my wife, we were in Mardell's one time. It's not bad, babe. 
<laughs> She's giving me the look. <laughs> An example, we were in Mardell's one time, and, and God spoke to her and told her, still a small voice inside of her, spoke to her and said, buy Greg a Bible, my cousin, a specific Bible. And she said, man, I only got that 70 bucks, and I don't And she came to me and said, I think God told me to buy Greg a Bible, but I'm not sure it was God. The devil's not going to tell you to buy someone a Bible. There's ways we can tell around this. Does it line up with the word? Does it line up with the scripture? When, you, when that still small voice tells you something, God's always the first one that speaks too. What if we were getting a grade card on this? What would your grade card look like? Just in the last week, to be an obedient for God. Have you done everything God's told you to do in the last week? There'll be tough times through this, but we're not alone. God will make it manageable. He'll make it bearable. There'll be things we can get through. You know, even if he delivers you from, if you have a drug addiction, if you have a sexual addiction, if you have whatever kind of addiction, if you have whatever you have going on in your life, if you ask God to purge that thing out, if you ask him to purge that thing out, he will. But that doesn't mean you can go back and pick it up again. You have to want it. You have to do it. You have to walk the thing down. He will make it bearable and he'll make it manageable for you. You can't expect to sit here in your seat and do nothing and everything's going to be all right. Just because you came to church doesn't make you all right. It doesn't make you all right. It doesn't make doesn't mean you're on your way to heaven just because you're warming one of these chairs up. You have to come in and you have to do something. You have to get involved. You have to be stretching and reaching. No matter which level you're on, everyone's at different levels with God. But no matter which level you're on, wherever you're at, you have to be striving for that next level. You have to be striving and reaching for that next level, pushing for all your worth. God has to be number one in that. Number one in that. I used them for the men's meeting this weekend, and I'll, I'll close here pretty quick. Um, a boat that's out on a lake, picture a boat on a lake, if it's not moving forward under its own power, what's going to happen to it? If you shut that thing off, it's going to get in trouble. We have to be moving forward. We can't back, if, if we're not moving forward, we're going to be backing up or moving sideways or something else. If that boat stops, if you shut the key off, guess what happens next? Wakes come along and you've got it moving sideways. Other boats are, are affecting it just much like us. Other boats affect us. Other people affect us. What's going on around us? The wind affects it. Pretty soon it'll be in trouble. It'll be up on the bank or up in the rocks or something. And even if it's under power, sometimes there's snags, you see. But God gives you a way out of it. Does that make sense to you? If we could at this time. I know this is spoke to someone in here. Probably should have spoke to everyone here, I think. God's always right on. He's always right on. I prayed and I really struggled with this message. Uh, can we have a prayer line today? we have some, some music, brother? we have a prayer line today? Anybody want to be anointed? Any, anyone have something they'd like to have purged out of their life? Is that you? Anything. Come on forward. Brother. Anybody have something they'd like to have purged forward? 